Today I welcome Dr. Glenn Moody, Principal of KTJ School in Malaysia. In this episode, I discuss sustainability, the importance of environmental awareness within a school and its community, and international boarding education, and of course, values and building them into your education. I want to talk about KTJ, the school you're at now in Malaysia. KTJ follows a strong set of guiding principles. Can you explain more about these principles and this approach? Yes, yeah, so we do have a very strong set of what we call guiding principles, and that's made up of a vision, a mission, and three values. I know a lot of schools have those sort of guiding principles, but one of the things that I've found at KTJ is that those principles are very genuine. They're very authentic to the school in a way that in some schools, they feel like they're a bit sort of tacked on at the end is we've got to have them. So let's have some. Whereas I think KTJ really lives by its principles and particularly by its values. So we did actually, not long after I joined the school, we changed one of our three values. So our three values now are integrity, empathy, and mutual respect. Now, integrity, we didn't have before we had compassion, but the feeling was that compassion and empathy were quite close together. And so we shifted one of those. And so many of the decisions we make in school are based on those three values. And students, staff, parents all understand them. They can all quote them. You know, so they are really a driving force behind what we do. Of course, you know, we all have our own views of what integrity means. And there will be some differences, you know, everyone's view of what words like that mean. But I think, you know, there's some shared common ground with all of those three values. And it's great to be able to be at the stage where everyone understands them well enough that they can inform decisions and people understand, you know, when you make decisions based on those values, you know, that's the right way to go. How do you go about supporting your teachers and your students to ensure they do live by those values and your guiding principles? Because, you know, you mentioned that all schools have a mission, a vision, the statement, they tend to have too many values, I feel. So I think, you know, it's great that you have rationalized that down. But again, a big part of the authenticity of school is you've got to live and breathe it. Otherwise, they just become corporate words that look good on a page. But really, how do you show that? As a leader, the most important thing you are doing in any organization is creating a narrative. If you say things often enough, people will believe it. In fact, whether it's true or not, they'll probably believe it. One of the things you should be doing as a leader is creating a narrative. And so part of that narrative is there needs to be a shared language. You can't have a a shared culture within an organization unless there is a language that allows people to understand that. So part of it is the way you talk about it, mentioning those values regularly in different ways. And that might be through flagging them in decision-making, perhaps when you're having to apply sanctions to students. It will also be in grander ways, such as every year we would focus attention on those values in whole school assemblies. There's no one singular way in which you do it. It's an ongoing process. But, you know, you know you've reached success when students and staff and parents start quoting those values back at you. I think that's, you know, when you really feel that you've got the momentum. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think you have to keep talking about them. They have to be at the front and centre of everything that you do. So everyone is brought back to those values you do. And it's been great to see how you've managed to sort of weave those also into your social media conversations, because again, you know, everything you post has to be tied down to one of those values. That's your reason for being. That's why you do things. 
And again, that shows a modern way in which to do it, which is excellent. You review these principles regularly in consultation with your wider community. How often would you review your principles and values? You know, is it important what your parents say or do you really direct them in your way of thinking? Our aim would be to sort of have a review of some sort every three to four years. Our last one was in 2019. I think it is really important to review these regularly. You know, the world is changing. And, you know, for instance, in the last year and a half, the world has changed significantly. And it's really important that the principles are valid and up to date. But of course, it would probably be wrong for them to shift too far from you know, one iteration to the next. There should be a logical reason for the shift. You know, for example, when we last looked at the values, as I said before, we felt compassion and empathy were quite close as words. We felt there were some differences between them, but we felt we wanted a greater range from our values. And when we looked at other possible words, the word that came up most in our surveys and focus groups was integrity or words related to integrity. So that word is not just coming from staff and senior staff in the school. It's coming from, you know, staff and all sorts of jobs within the school. It's coming from students. It's coming from parents. So with any of these things, it's a balance, isn't it? You can't give total freedom for everyone to uh, say what they think. Otherwise, you might end up with Boaty McBoatface again. But, you know, <laughs> so there's got to be some sort of structure to guide it. But at the same time, you want everyone to feel like they've had their opportunity to have their say because you want everyone to invest in it and you're not going to get people to invest in it unless they feel they're part of the process. You're very passionate about environmental awareness at KTJ and you've made some big changes to reflect this. What initiatives have you introduced? The first thing to say is we don't really think about it as environmentalism at KTJ. We think about it as sustainability and we're talking about sustainability in the way the United Nations would talk about sustainability and its 17 sustainable goals. So that would go beyond just talking about the environment. If we are to focus on the environment for a moment, I think there are sort of three or four things that we've really focused on in recent years. One is we've dramatically increased the number of solar panels we have at school. So we now have more than 3,000 solar panels on our roofs. And we've managed to do that in such a way that it hasn't cost the school anything. We haven't had to pay for those solar panels. So we share the savings from those solar panels with a company that um, paid all of the costs for putting them up. But we are saving money from that and we are helping the environment. So I believe last year we generated enough electricity to power 40,000 Malaysian homes for a day. It's not insubstantial. You know, we would like to do more with that. And you think of Malaysia, you think it's a hot country, but actually it's not very sunny compared to a lot of countries. I think the average uh, sunshine is sort of 3.6 hours per day in our part of Malaysia. So Solar panels are certainly more efficient than some other parts of the world. But, you know, for us, it's been a great way to really demonstrate, you know, our commitment. And we do that through smaller ways as well. For example, we have a small sort of lake. I think lake is probably a brand word for what we have on site. And the water that comes from that is used in our sprinklers, for example, for watering the sports field. So, you know, it's important to do the big stuff and to do the small stuff. Another major project has also been recycling and getting recycling going and direct access to you know recycling systems in Malaysia is a bit more challenging than say in the UK and so we've had to find our own vendors to work with who are able to recycle the recyclables for us we have recycling bins which we have purchased which are in various places around the school we encourage parents to bring in their own recycling and drop it off at school and then we have um, 
some of our support staff, they go around each week and collect the recycling and then process it and we send it on. You know, it's really important that we do that, not just from the point of view of doing our part from the environment, but in terms of education. I'm not just talking about educating our students here, but it's also about educating staff and parents and everyone within our community about the importance of recycling. You talked about this being tied to the UN and obviously the global goals. Is that important that you have some connection with the wider impact rather than the local impact? I think the UN sustainable goals allow us to really focus down on our local community as well. Whereas when you're talking about environmental issues, you're often talking about global issues. As part of our commitment to the sustainable goals, we want to be a responsible employer within our local community. We're, we're pretty much in the countryside here where we are in Malaysia. There is a town nearby and it's got a population of about 25,000, but we're not near any big cities or anything like that. So we have linked with a, a local charity in that town and we work very closely with them in a whole number of ways to help people in need in the local community, to help with education. There's a camp for Myanmar refugees nearby. We help to support the work that the charity does with that group. Um, and this charity is set up like a soup kitchen, food bank and all sorts of other things in the local town. And so we try to do our part to support in all sorts of different ways, whether that's offering advice, our students and staff volunteering their time, raising funds for them. A couple of years ago, we bought a, a van for them to use. Have your initiatives made their way into the classroom? So more student-led, so they feel that there's a direct impact to what they're learning about and how they can start thinking about applying that to what they're learning at KTJ. Definitely. And in fact, um, you know, if we're to take our link with the local charity in the town of Manton, which is near us, that was actually came through a sixth form student introducing me to the CEO of the charity. And the student had invited the CEO to the school and then, you know, had arranged for me to meet with her. And, and that was the start of the relationship with that charity. So certainly students lead all sorts of things. Another one of our students who's just about to go off to Stanford University, last year he led a campaign to raise money for people in need at the start of the COVID pandemic because of, um, you know, the impact that was having on people and work and, you know, families having enough money. And within a few weeks, he set up a website, got lots of other students involved, and they raised 60,000 ringgit, which is more than 10,000 pounds in a very short period of time. So so we try to give students, particularly older students, that opportunity to take action. And at the moment, a, a group of our students who are planning to read medicine at university are supporting the UN's or UNICEF's vaccine program to raise funds for vaccines in poorer countries around the world. So, yeah, it's driven directly by the students. It's all we do is help to remove the impediments and give them the opportunity to get things done. Yeah. And so have you noticed a shift in your community's attitude towards sustainability in the environment because of the initiatives that you've put in at school? We certainly have and a greater understanding. I think at the same time, you know, we still recognise we've got more to do, particularly in terms of how sustainability and environmentalism is embedded within our curriculum. And that's something that we're still, still looking at how we develop that further. Obviously, if you teach a five-year-old about sustainability, you've got a much better chance of it having a lasting effect within a community than if you're trying to teach a 45-year-old about sustainability. And I know that's the approach that's been taken in various countries is about making sure that that education starts very early. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. 
We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I've seen it written a lot. This generation, the millennials, the alpha generation are more sustainably conscious, more environmentally conscious. They care about the planet that they've been born into. Do you think that's accurate or do we think that it's just more talked about now rather than action? It's very hard to generalize. I think, you know, certainly the current generation with things like the woke movement, are, you know, very politically and societally aware of the sorts of issues and of trying to confront those issues. I think so. Probably more of a light is shone on it by the younger generation. What Greta Thunberg says is incredibly important that you know, she says, well, how dare the older generation leave this to the younger generation to sort out? You know, it, it's not our problem. We're supposed to be focused on school and, you know, developing as, as young people. It's the politicians and the adults in the world that need to sort this matter out. I think that's really important when we're thinking about environmental and sustainable issues, that we shouldn't just see the next generation as the hope. It's got to be us that do something about it. Completely agree. How do you measure success in terms of your sustainable initiatives and environmental awareness? At the moment, it's probably more anecdotally than anything else. You know, we can measure certain things like the energy generated from our solar panels. It's something we're working on. Our aim is to get towards being carbon neutral and eventually carbon negative. But the first thing is to try and measure our carbon footprint. And we're in the process of doing that at the moment with a company called The Planet Mark. But it is an incredibly complex process. And, you know, if, if you're going to include things like staff members and students traveling to school every day and, and the impact of that and all sorts of things, it, it becomes quite challenging calculation to come up with. But we are in the process of doing that. And that will then be a benchmark for us to measure more accurately our success and to make sure that we can work towards our commitment of you know, reducing our carbon footprint and eventually, you know, having a negative carbon footprint within the school. And that comes down to education. The world is still a bit naive around what, what being carbon neutral really means. Is it because I'm, I'm not going to drive a, a gas guzzling car, I'm going to go electric? Well, that goes some way, but everything we buy, everything we eat, everything we use has a supply chain and a footprint. I'm looking around my desk right now with the consumer electronics I've got, the footprint that that has. And it, it is, as you say, a complex process. Do you advise or would you recommend that all schools approached it this way? So we got some kind of idea as to what the educational carbon footprint is, and maybe at different parts of the world. I think each school really has to make its own decision. I would hope that, you know, all schools see the importance of teaching environmental and sustainable issues. I think it's very easy to make a commitment to being carbon neutral or carbon negative. It's a much harder thing to achieve, and you've got to be ready and prepared to go through with that. Now, a lot of the corporations that say they're going to do that, they set extremely long targets. I think Amazon is by 2050 or something like that, which is, and I can understand why they set those long targets, because it is a, a difficult thing to achieve. But, you know, there are other things that you can do without actually measuring your carbon footprint, if that's what you want to do. I mean, a couple of the other things we're doing is, one, we're trying to uh, not have any single-use plastic in school. That's proven quite challenging, but we're working towards that. And, and just having that in mind at all times, 
when you're making decisions about things is, you know, can help with achieving it. But we're also starting to grow our own vegetables in school. And then you do break the supply chain. There is no supply chain. It's direct. Our vegetable garden's right next to our kitchen. So um, it can be immediately processed and used. And we're very lucky in Malaysia that things grow extremely quickly. So we can grow several crops a year in quite a small space, actually. Yeah. I mean, we've, as a family, have gone down the electric car route um, last year. Do you have electric charging points at school? Is there plans to have electric charging points? I mean, are electric cars quite common yet in Malaysia? I haven't seen any electric cars in Malaysia, so I'm not sure. When I joined the school, a lot of our support staff, such as our ground staff and our maintenance staff, were traveling around the site. We've got 80 acres. They were traveling around on their own motorbikes. So we have purchased some electric buggies. They use those now, which um, obviously we charge those overnight. But of course, there are still some challenges around electricity because the majority of electricity is you know, either coming from coal or hydroelectricity or things like that. So this is where it becomes very difficult because even if we're to look at solar panels, some of the parts in a solar panel is metal, which is quite scarce and precious in the world. And although it's only used in small quantities, it's very quickly, you know, supply is going to run out. And so I think it's important, you know, we keep thinking about these issues and thinking of new ways of approaching them. KTJ is an international school. You have students from three to 19. With a lot of international schools, the parent body is often quite transient because they come out, they work for a few years and then they move on. Is that the case with KTJ or do you tend to find parents come and stay for a lot longer? Our families tend to stay a lot longer and our staff do as well, even our expat staff. So partly because we're mainly a Malaysian school, so around about 80% of our students are Malaysians. We only opened our primary school in 2013, so we're just at the stage now where our very first primary school students are graduating from the school. A lot of students do stay with us a long time. A lot of our Malaysian teachers, some have been here since we opened in 1991. Even some of our expats, we've got expat staff who have been here 20 years. So I think that's because there's a really strong sense of community. It's very different from being in a place like Kuala Lumpur. You know, there are parts of Kuala Lumpur where you really do feel like you're not in Malaysia. You're perhaps in some sort of, you know, Western country or or something like that. Whereas this is really, we're out in the real Malaysia in the countryside you know, surrounded by lush greenery, monkeys and all sorts of things like that. And uh, it's a very different sort of lifestyle. So we tend to attract, amongst our staff, we tend to attract families who tend to stay for a long time. And a lot of Malaysian families who are very keen on boarding. As you know, it happens in the UK as well. I think now the average sort of distance from home to boarding school is about one hour. And it would be similar here in Malaysia. The majority of our boarders live in KL, which if you have good traffic, is only about 45 minutes away. It is boarding a growing market in Malaysia? I think it's probably pretty steady at the moment. Some parents see it as a bonus during the pandemic. Other parents rather have their kids at home. Undoubtedly, boarding in this part of the world, though, has benefited from the, the significant costs of sending children to the UK and Europe and America for boarding. There are more local options. So We have around about 600 boarders, which makes us by far more boarders than any other international school in Malaysia. It's always been part of our tradition. We insist that our sixth formers board, for example, so all of our sort of nearly 300 sixth formers are on boarding. And I think at that age, parents see it as a a nice stepping stone to university. Most of these kids are going off to university in the UK or the US. It's a chance for them to make that first step in terms of independence. 
I'm always interested to know why heads end up in the countries they end up. Why did you end up in Malaysia? Were you en route somewhere else or was it a deliberate decision? <laughs> yes, I lived for 20 years in the UK. I became a UK citizen along the way during that time. I still see the UK as home, but I also have a home in New Zealand and most of my family is in New Zealand. As my parents got older and I thought about the fact that you know, my daughter had never spent much time with our families. Uh, my wife's a New Zealander as well. It felt like a good opportunity to be a bit closer to New Zealand. It's still a 13-hour flight, so it's, it's still quite a long way. You know, it, it did provide some opportunities there. But I, I think also, I have to admit, I was getting a bit frustrated with some of the things going on in the UK and the way that independent education was being used as a political football by, it seems, everyone in politics, actually. You know, I felt it was the right time to try something different. I have to say that moving to KTJ was much easier than I thought it was going to be. And the school operates pretty much exactly the same as a British boarding school. And so I barely noticed a difference in many ways. In some ways, it feels like a better lifestyle. There are things I miss about the UK, but there are also things that I really enjoy about being in Malaysia. And you know, one of the things I think we've always wanted as a family is having those different experiences, feeling like we get a range of experiences throughout our life. And the last year and a half, it hasn't felt quite so much like that because we've been in lockdown so much. But, you know, we look forward to things opening up again and being able to travel around more of Southeast Asia. So, yeah, we're on a lovely, it's a lovely golf course, yeah. As ever, Glenn, thanks ever so much for your time. It's been really fantastic speaking to you and catching up and hearing all about everything going on at KTJ and, and what you're doing. So thanks ever so much. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.